So we're moving into a series right now called DNA and the, the core of who we are. You know, DNA, for those who didn't pay attention in high school biology, uh, stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. Uh, and DNA is the fundamental building block that defines who we are as an individual, unique human being. And it doesn't change. You can't change who you are. You can't change yourself at that DNA level. Now you can dye your hair, you can gain or lose weight, and your DNA can even contribute to your need to do those things. Some people's DNA causes them to go gray at an early age, and so they make a decision to dye their hair. Some people's DNA has them a tendency to carry more weight, and so they have to manage that more. It, your DNA does determine a lot of those facets of your physical appearance, but also your emotional makeup and, and a lot that goes along with that. But your DNA itself does not change. It's who you are at your core, at a, at a cellular level, and it affects everything that you become. And so for the next few Sundays, we're going to be talking about trilogies DNA, who we are as a church at the core, at a fundamental, organic, developmental level. Some of you have joined the Trilogy family just recently, and you may not have been around in the beginning when we talked about what we value, what is important to us as we live the mission that Jesus has given us. Others of you have been around for a while, but I think every one of us needs regular, consistent reminders about who we are as a church and what God has called us to. Why? Because who we are is part of our DNA. When it comes to the church you call home, it should be personal. There needs to be ownership there. That this is not the church that you attend, but that Trilogy is your church. Trilogy is our church. And we know that it's his church. And we all share the same DNA, that same makeup, that same foundation of who we are. And it, it keeps us on track when we have that knowledge. It helps us to know what to say yes to and, and what we should say no to. Because those aren't easy questions, are they? There's opportunities all the time and it's difficult to navigate that because there's a lot of good things that we could be doing. But we don't want to do good things at the expense of the right things and the specific things that God has called us to. Uh, we, we need to know how to make those choices. And what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks now will show us exactly the kind of church that God has called us to be. So if you've been attending for you know a few months now and you've been wondering, okay, exactly who are we as a church? Welcome, this is the right time because that's exactly what we're gonna be talking about. But our DNA as a church, our local church DNA, is not the foundation. Our DNA it defines who we will be as a church. But when you're building a house, the first thing you have to do is, is pour the foundation, right? You have, to, you have to make sure that foundation is solid because the foundation is the key to everything else that comes later. And if that's not solid, then nothing else matters. Nothing you build on top of it is really important if the foundation is cracked, if the foundation is tilted, if the foundation is going to crumble. The houses that get built on top of a solid foundation can look different. I mean, they can look very different, but the foundation is the same. It's solid, it doesn't change, and it doesn't move. Matthew 7, 24 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, 
like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And that is the foundation for trilogy. Our foundation is the Bible. The word of God gives us everything we need to do church. Uh, Jesus has not only called us, he's also equipped us. He's sent us out. He's given us what we need to do it. And even though most churches are built on that foundation, they are going to look different. They're going to function differently. They're going to have different expressions of how to do what Jesus has called us to do. And we're going to be talking about what makes us unique as a church in the coming weeks. What makes Trilogy Trilogy? Um, but we've all got the same reason for being, right? Every church that believes and follows the Bible is built on that same foundation. So let's take a look at that first. When it comes to the church, Jesus spelled it out pretty plainly what we're called to do. In fact, it's one of the final things he says before he goes back to heaven. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is known as the Great Commission. And the big idea that the church is founded on is the Great Commission. We are to make disciples, help people learn what it means to be loved by God and to love him in return, to introduce them to what it means to follow Jesus, a lifetime of following him and becoming more like him and then to walk with them as they do it, showing them what a life following Jesus looks like as we do it ourselves. I, I've said this before. I think the greatest verse in the Bible on discipleship is not Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. And that's where Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Because that's discipleship. That really encapsulates what discipleship is supposed to be, to walk with people. And, and Jesus here specifically mentions baptism, which is why baptism is so important, not just for you as a follower of Jesus, but for the church as well. Because the church is supposed to be the witnesses when someone goes public, when someone makes that profession of faith at a public level. The church is supposed to celebrate with them. We love baptisms here at Trilogy. And if you've not taken that step yet, if you have not been baptized, Please let us know that you'd like to be baptized because we would love to celebrate with you and allow you that, to take that step of obedience uh, to be baptized. And the Great Commission ends with an amazing word of encouragement. Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. And the meaning here is not just in the same room with you, but for you, fighting alongside you. Because here's the thing, Jesus has not just sent us, he's with us. Jesus didn't say, go, I'm going to head back to heaven, you know, I'll, I'll be watching. No, he's with us. He's for us. He's fighting alongside us. Now, moving in us and through us to help us accomplish this incredible mission of making disciples. And the next place the Bible shows us what God had in mind for the church is found in Acts 2, verses 42 to uh, 47 as Luke describes what the early church looked like. He gives this great word picture of what the early church looked like and what they did to do church in early Bible times. And now as we read this, I want you to think about trilogy. Is this how you would want us to be known in the community? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." Now, come on, somebody. That's the best description for a church that I've ever heard. So there's some big rocks in there that we want to make sure form part of what we do uh, here at Trilogy. And we'll cover that in a few minutes. And then finally, there's a passage in the middle of Jesus' ministry, uh, his teaching ministry, that reveals the heart of God for the church. And it helps us see what God's heart is for who the church is supposed to be. And as we go about this mission of making more and better disciples, this is the direction that we want to to lean. Uh, We want our hearts to lean in the direction that God's heart is leaning. Uh, and, And in Luke 15, we have three parables that Jesus shares. And they're all thematically connected to each other. We have the parable of the lost sheep. And the, the famous line there is that, you know, the, the shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one. It's the principle that the lost sheep matters the most because it is lost, it is hurting, and it needs to be brought back. And so we always want to be a church that's going after the lost sheep. But then there's the parable of the lost coin, where the, they won't stop searching until she finds the one coin that was lost. And then finally, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, where he, he leaves and, and the father pursues him and, and is waiting for him. When that son returns home, he is open arms, ready to welcome him back. And so there's this principle of lost people mattering to God at an incredible, incredible way. And God is just waiting for them to turn around. And we're supposed to pursue them and go after them and hold our arms open to them and invite them uh, to be a part of God's family again. And there has to be an emphasis in every church that wants to follow the model that the Bible sets out for us uh, for those who haven't yet found Jesus. There has to be an emphasis there on the lost and joining together, but also focused on those who are in our neighborhood, looking outward, reaching out to those who are lost. This is the heart of God for his church. And so that is the foundation. Every church that wants to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us needs to make sure that that foundation is solid. It's not going anywhere. And then build on that. Jesus said to go and make disciples. It's a movement word. So we need to go. But that leaves us with some questions, okay? How do we do that? Because now is where the uniqueness of who God has called us to be as trilogy comes into play. So where are we going? I said earlier that every church has the same foundation, but we'll build something unique on top of it. Every church has a unique DNA, a unique expression of how it will accomplish the Great Commission. It changes based on culture, location, leadership, and the way that God directs them. You know, uh, when I lived in uh, Arizona, we lived in Mesa, Gilbert, Southeast Valley, and the biggest uh, church, uh, Assembly of God church at least, in the area was Phoenix First Assembly, Tommy Barnett's church. Well, Tommy Barnett's church did these 
big, massive productions. They did a Christmas production that would rival anything you've ever seen and live, you know, camels walking down the aisle and elephants and all sorts of craziness going on in the church and angels flying in on trapezes. And I mean, it was, it was a production. Well, not every church is called to do a production like that. Now, thousands of people gave their heart to Christ every year as a result of this. But that doesn't mean that if we want to be effective at reaching people for Christ, we're supposed to have camels walk down the aisle of the church because that's not who God has called us to be. Each church has a unique expression of what we are called to do and what we are called to be in accomplishing and building on that foundation that Jesus has laid for us. Um, and, and that will change. We're moving in the direction that Jesus pointed the church to make disciples, but we're doing it in the way Jesus has called trilogy to do it. So what are we doing? And I, God gave me this mission uh, years ago that we are helping people become part of God's family through a life-changing, constantly growing relationship with Jesus. And that to me is critical that we understand that. We are helping people become part of God's family. That's making disciples pursuing the lost, people who are distant from God, helping them to get closer through relationship, become part of God's family through a life-changing, that's that transformative new work that he does, constantly growing. It doesn't end there, but continues for the rest of our lives, relationship with Jesus. That's what I want. That's my prayer for every one of you, that you would become part of God's family, experience a life-changing moment with him, and then that constantly growing relationship with Jesus. That's how we're doing this. Now, why are we doing it? I mean, why, why the way that we're doing it? What's important to us? And these set of values really help define who we are as a church and sets things apart and helps us decide what do we say yes to? What do we say no to? These values are what's really important as we express what God has called us to do in our context, in our community. And this is what makes Trilogy Trilogy. Each one of these is huge and a huge part of who we are. And I'm going to devote a week to each one of these. I'm going to cover the first one of these today and then we'll do the rest of these values in subsequent weeks as we move through this series. So I'm not going to go into a ton of detail on these all right now. As I said, we're going to cover the first one. But I just want to at least present them to you and then we'll cover these in more detail in the coming weeks. The first value that we have is new stories. Sure, you've heard me use that phrase before, uh, new stories. Acts 19:17, the story of what happened spread quickly, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. We're a church who believes in new stories. Second, strong families. Uh, Joshua 24:15, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And I don't think that's surprised that we are a family-oriented church. We want to invest in marriages, we want to invest in our age-based ministries our kids' ministry, our student ministry, and we want to help families grow strong. Uh, healthy relationships, Galatians 5.14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we put such a priority on being a part of a neighborhood group, on getting connected with other men in our men's ministry, other women in our women's ministry. It's important that we do life together and have healthy relationships. And then finally, an outward focus. Luke 10.2, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. 
We do not want to be a church that just sits behind the walls of a building. And that's great because we don't even have a building, so we can't. Uh, but we don't want to be a church that just focuses inward and focuses on growing us. We want to help reach out, look outward, and help grow others. And here's the thing, Trilogy. What we're about today can be just a bunch of words. Or it can be a catalyst to change the world. To see families restored here in the north part of the Metroplex. What is going to make that difference? You are. I am. All of us together. You have something to offer here. God brought you here for a reason. And for the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about what that is. And my prayer for all of us is that the next few weeks would give us an even greater passion to see Trilogy become the church that God designed us to be. We just talked about our reason for being, what sets Trilogy apart, what it is that is unique about us, our DNA. And for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to talk about that first value that we just talked about, new stories. From the beginning of Trilogy, I mean, even before the beginning, when, when this was all just a dream that God had put in my heart, he also gave me a phrase that motivated me, that moved me forward, that, that really caused us to pick up where we were, move to Dallas, start to build relationships, and plant this church. Uh, that phrase was this, it's time to write a new story. It's time to write a new story. And that phrase was important Obviously, from a, a church standpoint, from beginning a new church, but it was also important from the standpoint of we want God to be writing new stories all the time. And it's never not a time for God to write a new story. God wants to use us in this church that we were going to plant to do something new, to reach people who hadn't been reached, to bring people together in a new church family that God was going to use in amazing ways. And we are still just getting started. There have already been a ton of amazing stories that have happened in the first five years of our existence here. Lives have been changed, needs have been met, people have been saved and baptized, and those stories are going to remain with us for the rest of our lives. Some of you, it's because you are the one who has been transformed. You will hold that story and guard that story forever. Some of you, it's because God used you to change someone else's life. And others of you, because you were there celebrating along with them as you saw God do something miraculous in them. And I want to start off by defining what I mean by new stories. If that's one of our primary values, it's part of our DNA, we should probably have a good idea what it means. And as we read the Bible, we discover a God who is constantly doing something new. God is constantly doing something new. Changing the status quo, never settling for what is, but always pushing for what could be, what should be, according to his incredibly perfect plan. We see it at creation. We see it when the Israelites were in captivity. We see it when Jesus came to change even the way God relates to his creation. We see it in the early church and the constant life transformation we see talked about in the book of Acts. We see it in the promise of Jesus returning and how he will make all things new again. Again and again and again, God is doing new things. He's writing new stories. And we want to be a church who is at the center of new stories being written in us and through us because of Jesus, but using us to do it. I want to share this verse from Isaiah 43, verse 19. It says, For I am about to do something new. 
See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And the scriptures aren't coming up on the screen. I'm not sure why we'll try to fix that for you so we can make sure that we get all the scriptures up there. But let that verse simmer in your soul for just a minute because I believe this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to our church. God regularly brings me back to this verse. Time after time, it comes to my memory as I'm praying, I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. I mean, how many of you want to see God do something new in our church? That's my prayer every day. How many of you want to see God do something new through our church to reach our communities, to see families restored, to see families strengthened? God is about to do something new. You may have just started coming to Trilogy in the last six months or so. You may have never attended an in-person service with Trilogy because you started after COVID hit. You may feel as I talk about the past and where we've come from that you've missed out on something. And I want you to know you are part of the new thing that God has already begun. And I believe he brought you here for this time, for this season, to see something new take place in your life and through your life and through our church. Those who have been here from the beginning have laid a foundation. And now you get to come alongside and build with us. And I believe it's going to be incredible, church. And we're going to be right in the middle of it. So the first part of what New Stories means to us is that we want to see God do something new. To experience all that God has for us and for the families and the communities around us. But that's only half of it. And here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. God wants you to experience a new story so you can share a new story. God wants you to experience a new story so you can share a new story. And this is the pattern that we see in Scripture. God does something for someone or in someone and they tell others. In fact, even when Jesus told them not to tell anyone else, some of the people he healed couldn't contain themselves and told everyone they could find about what Jesus had done for them. They just couldn't contain it. Today, when something significant happens, it spreads pretty quickly. Earlier this month, uh, Eddie Van Halen passed away. Now, instantly, my phone lit up with a notification. Within minutes, we knew. Anybody who has news notifications turned on knew it. And it's crazy how quickly events travel in our culture today. Now, just so you're aware, they did not have iPhones back in Jesus' time. I know, it, it's hard to think about that. They didn't even have pagers I mean, how did they even text each other? It just it boggles the mind. But even though they didn't have the tech that we have today, I want to remind you of the verse that God gave me as kind of a theme verse for Trilogy three years ago. And that's Acts 19.17. The story of what happened spread quickly, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. And for the next few minutes that we have together this morning, I want to share a few thoughts about how that story spread. We're going to continue to pray together. We're going to continue to seek God. We're going to continue to pursue him in worship and in the word. And we are going to see God do new stories in our lives and in our church. But it's our responsibility to make sure that it doesn't stop with us. It's your responsibility to make sure it doesn't stop with you. It has to be shared. Because God wants you to experience a new story so you can share a new story. God wants you to experience a new story so that you can share a new story. 
And I want to first look at that verse that I just read again, but you need to understand that this is not the entire passage. It captures the meaning, but there's more to this story. Here's the full text of Acts 19, 13 through 17. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. So that's the whole context for that verse that God gave me. And so you have these people who understand the power of the name of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. There's a difference between knowing a formula and knowing Jesus. And so they're trying to apply this formula that they've seen applied, but they don't know Jesus and they get, they get battered. They get beat up pretty fierce uh, by these demonic forces. And what I want you to understand here is that we are in a spiritual battle. That's part of the reason we want to go pray today uh, at this polling place, because this is not a political thing that's going on in our country right now. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place in our country. And Christians, yes, need to go to the polls and vote, but Christians need to be in prayer for our nation. And so we want to do that as a church, because we do know Jesus. But these individuals, they didn't have that relationship, and that relationship is critical. Uh, and now listen to another story from the life of Jesus that had similar reactions from people in Luke 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate, and the young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. Big no-no, just a little insert there. You did not, as a Jew, touch a coffin. That was defiled, that was unclean, that would have made you ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go to worship, you had to go through all these purification rites. But the bearers stopped, and young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Now, both of these stories have something in common. When people realize the power of God is real, they are going to talk about it. Both of these stories involve the power of God being demonstrated and news about Jesus spreading quickly. And I want you to understand the word for fear in this case is not horror. It's an awe, a reverence, a holy respect. And that is what happens when the power of God shows up, when people understand what God is capable of. For some of them, there's this sudden realization of just how wrong 
they've been. For others, it's a beginning of understanding that's growing within them that God can make a difference in their lives. Regardless of the cause, people are going to be talking. When God heals someone of cancer, people are going to talk. When God restores a marriage that had crumbled to dust, people are going to talk. When someone gets saved, it becomes a completely different person because the Holy Spirit does a miraculous work inside of them. People are going to talk. But here's the thing, guys, I don't want to be a church that reads about God's power at work. I want to be a church that sees God's power at work. We want to see this. We want to be a part of this. We don't want to hear stories. We want to participate in the stories about God's power at work, right? Let people start talking about that trilogy church. God's up to something there. I don't know what it's all about, but there's something different. That's how they talked about Jesus. People didn't always know what to make of him, but they were always talking about him. And I want people talking about Jesus because of what God is doing here at Trilogy. I want people talking about Jesus because of what God is doing in your life and the new stories that you're experiencing. The new stories that God is going to do here are not just for us, they are to be shared. And as we finish up this morning, I want to look at two more quick examples of stories spreading quickly in the New Testament and why. Because we want to make sure that Trilogy doesn't become Las Vegas in, in more ways than one. But what happens at Trilogy should never stay at Trilogy, okay? Here's what we see in the days of the early church of stories that spread quickly. In Acts chapter 2, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, this is Peter preaching, by the way, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now listen to this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. This was the very definition of something going viral. Jesus had died, his followers were done, their leader was gone, and then something happened that changed every one of them forever. He was resurrected. That alone is worth sharing. That story led to life change in others. It was the answer for the problem that people couldn't fix on their own. The miraculous gets shared. When things happen that we're not capable of doing ourselves, people share it. Today, people are facing all sorts of problems in life and in their families, at their jobs, with their finances, in their health, problems they can't solve. But Jesus came to solve the unsolvable problems in our lives. We just got done in a series on miracles that dealt with that exact subject. And his resurrection demonstrates just how far he is willing to go to fix what sin has broken. And here's what I want you to see. This news alone was not enough to go viral. His disciples, if left on their own, wouldn't have carried the message. It wasn't the message that compelled them to share it. It was Jesus and his Holy Spirit. After the resurrection, some of the disciples were still lost. They were unclear about the future. They thought they were done, washed up. There was uncertainty all over the place, but Jesus took what was unclear and brought clarity. God, Jesus has a habit of doing that in our lives. 
In Matthew 28, 19, he left no doubt as to what they and we are supposed to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he told them they weren't on their own to carry this out. Acts 1, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then a few weeks later, all heaven breaks loose. They were gathered in the upper room in a home of Jerusalem, praying, seeking God in this promised Holy Spirit that they were to wait for, and boy did he ever show up. The sound of a ferocious wind filled the room and the fire of God appeared over every one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began praising God in spiritual languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the words to speak. And the power that was released in that room that day fueled the growth of the early church that is our power source today. And if we're left on our own, I believe the church today would be just like the disciples. We would be focused on ourselves. We would be afraid of what people would think. We would be uncertain about how to move forward. But that same spirit who ripped through that upper room 2,000 years ago is still at work in his church today. When we are led by the spirit and empowered by the spirit, there are no limits to how God can use us. And for some of you, the new story you need to experience is to receive this incredible gift that Jesus promised to all of his followers, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You've never asked God to fill you and empower you as he did to his disciples here and others we read about all throughout the book of Acts. And again and again, the disciples prayed for people to receive this gift because they knew how important it was. Jesus never intended for us to attempt to live for him and to be a witness for him without the empowering gift of the Holy Spirit to fuel us, to make it possible. Begin asking God to fill you if you've never done that before. I'd be glad to talk to you more about that uh, amazing gift. If you have any questions at all, just hit me up. We'll talk. For others of you, you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you're not walking in it. You're not living in that power. And you need to pray and ask God to restore that fire in your life. Your new story is to ask God to awaken his power in your life. Because here's the thing. Who are we to think that we can accomplish anything for God without the gift that he has given us to do it. In fact, when we see Jesus on mission, what does the Bible say about him? It says Jesus, full of the Spirit, again and again and again, when the Bible describes Jesus going out to do something miraculous, it said Jesus, full of the Spirit. That was the way that the gospel writers described him. The Holy Spirit is God's power at work in the world today. How in the world can we possibly think we can make it happen without it if Jesus needed the Spirit? Ask God to give you the power that you need today. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not only the difference maker in your life, it's the difference maker in the church as well. It's what sets apart God's church from the United Way. It's what makes Trilogy different from other organizations in our community, trying to make a difference without God. We need the Holy Spirit. Finally, I want to share one last story from the Bible. When Jesus met with a Samaritan woman one day, we know her as the woman at the well. And I, I won't share the entire story this morning, but the interaction between them is captivating as Jesus identifies her needs, shows her that he is the answer for her needs, that she could find a new life by following him. And she becomes a follower of Jesus that day. 
and everything changes for her. John 4. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now stop there. Look at that verse. She said, what? She said, could he possibly be the Messiah? She doesn't even know. She's not convinced yet herself, and yet she's out sharing. She's out telling. We think we don't know enough to share Christ with people. She had no clue who Jesus even was yet, and she's talking about Jesus. So I want you to know, you know enough. You know what God has done in you. You know what God has done for you. You know who God is to you. Share it. Let's keep going. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. You want to know the secret to all of those people getting saved, of coming to faith in Jesus? How did the story spread so quickly? How was Jesus' name honored in this story? She shared it. When God does something in us, we need to share it. For many of you, God has changed your life, just like he changed the life of this woman at the well. He set you free from your past. He's restored you. He's provided for you. But the difference between her and you is that you haven't shared it with anyone yet. You've been keeping it to yourself. You were designed to share it. It's part of your DNA. It's part of our DNA as a church. Experience a new story and then share it with a world who needs to experience the power of God just like we do. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God of new stories. God, we thank you that you have wired us, equipped us, called us, empowered us to experience new stories and to share those new stories. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to be a follower of Jesus who lives that way. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a church who lives that way, that we would be all about seeing new stories take place in our lives, giving opportunities for that, praying towards that, and then God, sharing that taking it outside the walls and investing that in the lives of people, pursuing the lost, going after those who are far from Jesus. And God, I pray that you would, as we do that, God, let us see New Testament results in our church. God, let us see people added to our number daily who were being saved. God, let us see people experiencing new stories for the first time and ongoing. God, let us experience all that you have for us. Do a new thing in us and do a new thing in Trilogy. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.